So, uh, so we are in a current series that we're calling Getting Along, and we are looking at the essential principles for addressing community and conflict and conflict within community. Because I don't know if you noticed, but in our world today, it seems like there's a lot of conflict. It seems like there's, there's tensions all over, and they continue to be uh, the tense uh, moments continue, and there's always, there seems to be no middle. There seems to only be extremes. And so we thought months ago, not realizing how appropriate it was even, that we would talk about what it means to be in community, what it means to, to be in community while in the midst of conflict even. And so uh, two weeks ago, Pastor Jeff launched the series where we said the first thing about community and about dealing with conflict in community is that um, unity is... is uh, is a priority, that Jesus prayed for unity, that he prayed for us that we would be in unity. And unity isn't about being all in agreement, but it's about one body. And Pastor Jeff talks about that we should be humble and gentle and patient from Ephesians, and that our attitude is humility and our way is gentleness. And then last week we talked about culture, that we are called to observe our culture and we're called to lead our culture and that the church is outwardly minded or the healthy church is outwardly minded and that we have the role of servant and the way of friendship. And so we have three more weeks left in this series, but this morning the, the, the third part is we're going to talk about the Bible. We're going to talk about the Bible and the, the impact or the place that the Bible plays in our community or in community. So increasingly, Americans see the Bible as a relic of the ancient world. And um, how could it possibly guide us today is what people would ask if you were to talk about the Bible with someone. Some even consider the Bible to be dangerous, that it has been the supporter of violence, that it has been the supporter of slavery and discrimination against various people groups. Uh, there was a study done by the American Bible Society and Barna Research Group, and uh, part of that study I want to put up on the screen, and it's not a great image because the slide is not necessarily the most clear, but it was the best I could do. So it's a little fuzzy, I know we don't like that. But I wanted you to notice that it says frustrations when reading the Bible. Now what I love about this study is what they did was they looked at different uh, uh, cities. And so this was a reflection of Philadelphia. And Philadelphia, when reading the Bible, 30% find no frustration. So if you had 100 people in a room, 30 say that they have no frustration in reading the Bible, while 70 would say that they're frustrated with it. 30% don't have enough time to read it. Now, I was curious, is that the same 30% who have no frustration? Just saying. 20% don't know where to start. It's a big book, right? Where do you start? 20% uh, find the language of the Bible difficult to relate to. Uh, a few weeks ago, it was in August, I preached a series and I used, or I preached a message and used the word splagna. It's my, I had said it was my favorite Greek word. And uh, I had made the comment that it's such a great word that I wish I had a t-shirt. And uh, someone got me one. 
Yeah, I'm so I should have wore it. I know I just, it's not in my notes, uh, but it just but but the reason the Bible is difficult, 20% find it difficult because the language can be difficult. I mean, splogna, it's the, it means compassion if you weren't there. And it's kind of that it's it's that gut feeling we have when we see something that needs to change when we see an injustice. It, it, it turns our guts inside out. And so splogna just sounds like that word. I just think it's a great word. Uh, so finding the language of the Bible difficult. Uh, 14% are not excited about reading it. 12% don't understand the history. 12% the layout is difficult to navigate because there's an order to the books that doesn't necessarily make sense. And then there's chapters and numbers in it, in it as well. And 11% find the stories are confusing. So Americans see the Bible as a relic of the ancient world and the vast majority would feel that way about it. But we see... Uh, uh, we think otherwise. We see the Bible, and yes, we recognize that it describes some violence and it describes oppression that has been enacted by fallible humans, but it also provides a better way to live life. We believe that God speaks truth to the world today through the Bible, and that's why Bible study is such an important part of our life together at Hope. And that's why we understand that, or so that we can understand these ancient writings better, so that we can get to know God more. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that, but I want to pause for a commercial break. So I happen to be leading a small group beginning on Tuesday evenings, uh, October 8th at 7.30, right here in this building. And we're going to use Andy Stanley's study, Irresistible, talking about the Bible, the Old Testament, and the New Testament. And it'll be an exciting time. So if you have nothing to do on Tuesday nights, beginning October 8th at 730, I'd love for you to join us uh, here in, uh, it's one of these four quadrants. I'm not sure which one, but the walls will be up and we'll be in one of these four sections. So I'll meet in the lobby on October 8th at 7.30. If you have questions about that, seriously, talk to me afterward. There's details in the program, but it does say Tuesday, uh, Thursdays instead of Tuesdays. It is Tuesdays beginning October 8th. If you've never read the Bible, or when you have read it, you found it frustrating, like the folks who were in that study, let me offer you some quick tips. Uh, some things that people have told me that I found useful is focus on one book at a time. Uh, you need to imagine that this is a collection of books in a library, and you can pull one book off the shelf. And so there are books in here that you could read that you that are written as poetry. There are others written as history. There are others that are written to, to uh, that are letters written to other people. So it's like reading someone else's mail. Uh, and so when you read them, uh, they're not designed to be read from cover to cover, but it's meant to be read in in little sections like that. Uh, so it's not a chronological order. Also, when you read, it is difficult. There are some difficulties, some things that are difficult to understand. So one of the things that you should uh, you should invest in, and there's great ways to do that now, is other Bibles that will help you uh, help under, help you to understand different translations, but there's also commentaries. And back in my day, when I went to seminary, you had to invest in buying all those things, and it got pretty pricey. Now, you can go to a free website called BibleHub.com. BibleHub.com. It's all free, and you can learn about the word splogna just by going there and searching splogna. And all the things I said, I probably stole right from there at BibleHub.com. 
Com. So great, great resource. Uh, keep a notebook uh, because your thoughts and questions are great to have as you're reading. Uh, small groups like the group on Tuesday, October 8th at 730 are a great way to support you as well. And anything that's worth doing takes time to develop. So it requires an investment. If you never read the Bible, another suggestion that I've made often to people is reading the Bible as a novel. Uh, one of the things that get, we get hung up on is, 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 uh, is some of the language that's in here. I get that, the numbers and, and uh, 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 the, the, the chapters, uh, that there's not necessarily a chronological order to it. There are some authors that have taken the Bible and they've turned it into a novel, and you really begin to see the story that it's written. Uh, Walter Wangerin is probably one of the most famous, and I love these books. I have them all. The Book of God is the Old Testament. Paul is the story of of the New Testament after Christ uh, was uh, was resurrected, and then he has one just called Jesus. Uh, they're great books. They're just compelling stories, and it, you just get this beautiful understanding of the message of God through Jesus. So let me encourage you to do those things. So here at Hope, we believe it's important to study it and to follow it, but the real question is, how do we understand it? What is God trying to say to us through the Scriptures? How does God want us to take what we understand in, in the Bible and communicate that message to our world? And this is going to take study, this takes wisdom, and it takes spiritual discernment. So Paul wrote a letter to Timothy, and Timothy was a young leader in the church. And uh, when he, So this is one of those times when, when you're reading the letter that's called Timothy, we're reading Timothy's mail because it was a letter written from Paul to Timothy. And in Paul's letter, he challenges Timothy in his faith and leadership. And it's up on the screen. It says this. Paul says, but you, you, Timothy, must remain faithful to the things that you have been taught. Timothy grew up uh, in a Christian home. So he is, in a sense, a second generation Christian. His mom, grandmom, had a faith that was then developed into Timothy's life. Paul says, you know they're true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. He's talking about mom and grandmom and Paul. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, now interesting, Paul was talking about the Old Testament. The New Testament wasn't in its current form. So Paul's talking about the Old Testament and he says this Old Testament tells us about Jesus. And then he goes on and says, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. And so Paul tells Timothy that the Bible teaches us what is true and it will make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. And I thought about that when I'm, a, I've told you this before, when I'm preparing messages, I have four questions that I ask. I ask, a, when I'm looking at the text and preparing the message, I want to answer four questions. Uh, what 
do we need to know? Why do we need to know it? And then what do we need to do? And why do we need to do it? So it's about what do we need to know? Why do we need to know it? What do we need to do? Why do we need to do it? And if I can answer those four questions, then in a sense, the message is ready. Then the fifth thing is, what do I want you to remember? And that's when it's some kind of corny, often, at least my family tells me that later, phrase or saying or comment or thing. So that's the, just the part that helps you. So when you're sitting at lunch later, you're going, you know what? When Rick said this, that, whew, good stuff. Because I know you all do that, right? When you have lunch together, you go always go over the message. Yes. Mm-hmm. I hope you do. That's what we do in my house. Uh, <laughs> wow. Wow. So here we are in this series about community and why would the Bible be important to talk about in community? It teaches us what is true and make us realize when there's something wrong in our lives. Have you noticed that people can be wrong? And there are times that you are wrong. It corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. Humility, gentleness, and patience, right? That's from Pastor Jeff's message the first week. The Bible teaches us what is true. It helps us realize what is wrong. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Sounds eerily similar to conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ for the sake of others. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us. But the danger is often we mistaken that and believe that it's about information to be downloaded. And it is never designed to be information download. It's not a toolbox or an instruction manual per se. And I've heard people say that. Oh, well, it's my instruction manual for life. And for some people, the Bible is a manual. It's biblical steps to weight loss or biblical steps to overcoming addiction or biblical steps to business success. And when we do that, we're missing the point. That the Bible points us to a fulfilled life, but it's not an advice manual. The Bible is not a science book. For some people, if you don't believe the world is 6,000 years old, then you don't believe the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And therefore, you don't believe the Bible, and that means your faith is in jeopardy. But focusing on the factual accuracy of the Bible is the wrong approach. Because the core of my faith and the core of your faith has nothing to do with whether or not the days of creation are 24 hours long. The Bible tells us where we came from, but it is not a history or biology textbook. I love the first 11 chapters of Genesis. It is some of the most compelling, exciting reading. 
if it's read as poetry and story and explanation of where humanity came from and how humanity has steered the ship in the wrong direction. The Bible is not an easy answer book or a rule book. The truth is that the Bible and its history aren't nearly that simple. The Old and New Testaments come from a bunch of crumbling scraps and a mix of genres, genres written across the century by dozens of different scribes. The easy answer approach makes it that much easier, that much easy to misuse or abuse the Bible. There have been a number of recent evils from modern sexism to slavery to genocide to human sexuality and they all can be and have been backed up by carefully selected passages of Scripture. But the Bible contains powerful moral authority but it was never designed to be a weapon. A better approach is to read the Bible with careful analysis of its context to acknowledge that there are complexities and that there needs to be a healthy dose of humility. That the Bible addresses many of life's biggest questions, but it is no way an easy road. See, to reduce the Bible to these ways of understanding is to spotlight on little truths at the expense of the bigger truth. There's a book that Randy Peterson recommended by Peter Enns, and I can't remember the name of it now, but it's about the Bible. How the Bible actually works. See, I love that one. I can just reference it, and Randy just has the title right there. And uh, I have a quote from Peter Enns up on the screen. It says that the Bible, he's talking about it, and I believe this might even be in the introduction. He says, it's an invitation to join an ancient, well-traveled, and sacred quest to know God the world we live in and our place in it. And I thought, what a great way for us to understand the purpose of the Bible, that it is for to help us to know God, to help us to understand the world that we live in and that we can discover our place in the world. It's an invitation to explore things. When I officiate at a funeral, I always say something like this. I'll talk about the person who's we're here to celebrate and to remember, and I'll say that disease and death and accidents and poor judgment and all these other things, they exist because our world is broken. And it's imperfect. And it is not the way God intended. That's a truth from Scripture. It's written out very clearly in Genesis chapter 3. And as a result, our world's brokenness and imperfection is through and through, and it affects every area of life. And just like an infection affects every part of the body that it touches, nothing is perfect in our world because of sin's infection in our world. And so I talk about the brokenness that we experience. And then even in this moment, we're experiencing brokenness because of the loss of this person. And then I say something like this. I said, now let me ver be very clear. Your friend and family member has not died because of a sin or sins that they committed. 
But I do believe that sin's infection has spread all, all over us. And it's everywhere that we go. And it's everything that we see has been made imperfect and has been made broken. And in the same way that snow falls on every yard, sin has fallen into every space in our lives. And for some of us, we experience that imperfection because of, through broken relationships and others through disease and others by poor judgment and all of us experiencing death. And I say, and that's why a belief in heaven is so special. That's why a faith in Jesus is so important. Because if this world is just about brokenness, it's easy to believe it's not worth living. But if we believe in a faith in Christ, if we believe that someone can make a decision at 83 years old, I'm going to follow Jesus. That changes everything. That means that while snow may fall, our sin may fall in every yard and it may infect every part of who we are, we believe that God in His infinite wisdom through Christ is able to remove the sin, eradicate it from our lives, and change us and lead us into a life that is filled with goodness and grace and forgiveness and broken relationships and disease and all those things that sin affects can be made new and clean and good. And that's why heaven is so special. And all of that comes from an understanding that the Bible is designed, is all found out because we look at it as this ancient and well-traveled and sacred quest to know God and discover that there's a world that we live in and it's not the way God intended. But yet God wants to make it all right. And God can make it all right through Jesus. And we can discover the place that we have in this world. So the Bible is this invitation to explore. And through our, explanation, uh, through our exploration, we become more like Jesus. And so the big truth of the Bible is Jesus. Yeah, there are layers and layers of depth and truth and revelation to be found in studying Scripture. But the main story of the Bible is Jesus. And the purpose of the thousands of words point us to the final word, Jesus Christ. So as I was doing some uh, research for this message, I was uh, uh, Googling. And, you know, when you start Googling combinations of words, you never know what you're going to uh, find. And so, you know, I'm Googling Bible, true Jesus. And just, you know, it's just, let's see where that takes me, you know. And then from there, you end up, you know. Anyway, so I'm all over the place uh, doing some searching, just looking to see. And, and I found a New York Times article. And the title of it is what uh, really drew me in. Uh, and 
it wasn't a great article, to be honest with you, so I'm not going to share a lot about the article, but the title really caught me. The title is, it's not important if the Bible is true. What matters is that it's real. And so the author went on about the difference between truth and reality, and that, that it does need to be true if it's real. And then at the end, he said this. He said, this Easter, it was written at Easter time. This Easter, think of what so many of us have in common, a need to bring order to our lives, a desire for transcendence, and a love of stories. God is part of the same formless reality as thought and as fiction, as art, as real as all bits of data that flowed invisibly through this world. Do you ever think about that? Do you ever try to talk to somebody who didn't grow up in this computer age about the cloud? Yeah, I'm not going to ask if you're in this room, but some of you, right? I remember talking to my in-laws about the cloud and explaining that, well, you don't have to save it here. It's saved in the cloud. Well, what cloud? Where is it? It doesn't matter. It's safe. It's there. It still exists. It's not on your computer. It's there. But does it still exist? It's still there. It's just there, not here. And so I love that. As real as all bits of data that flowed invisibly through this world. So my uh, laptop is wireless. And somehow when I hit control P, that information goes to a printer in the other room. That data is real. Somehow. It does that. As real as all bits of data that float invisibly through this world, somehow creating output in the form of meaning. In this sense, everything that moves and shapes us is real. And so he goes on to talk about, while we may not believe the Bible is true, we can believe it's real because of the impact it has had on our faith. I would say that I can believe the Bible is true and the Bible is real. Because I have witnessed life transformation in my life. I've witnessed life transformation in men and women over decades. And that's real. And that's the Bible being real. It's the story of God and our world and our place in this world. And so here we are in Mount Laurel at this campus that we formed. And the intent was not so that we would necessarily have more people. Yes, that's a byproduct. The goal is not more people. The goal would be introducing Jesus into the lives of people. And so what a great day to talk about God and our world, and our place in this world, and to have our first baptism. Thanks for planning that way, Jim. Appreciate it. The Bible is true, and it's real in our hearts and our lives. Will you stand with me for closing prayer? And so, God, thank you for this time that we've had to worship you. And God, I pray that our worship has been inspiring for each other, but God, more importantly, I pray that it's been honoring to you. 
I pray, God, that the words that we've shared and the thoughts that we've had and the conversations that we have have brought honor to you as well. And now, God, as we move from this place into the other places of our lives, as we go off into the different worlds that we'll encounter, whether it be our our home world or restaurants or whether it be uh, tomorrow at school and work, God, that as we move into those spaces, that, God, we would recognize that there's a world that sees that the Bible is just an ancient relic. It's, it's, it has no meaning in our lives as a culture. But yet we hold it and believe it to be true and real. With all of its uh, um, um, history of being used as, 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 as a weapon against awful things, God, we still see this incredible big truth that there's Jesus who can make a profound impact in our lives. And that decision can change the world around us. And so God, I pray that as we're in those worlds, that we would know that we have opportunity to not only believe in its truth, but to live out that it's real. to a world that's desperate to know that kind of love. So God, I thank you for the men and women in this room. I thank you for the lives that are represented here and for the opportunity we have to impact the world around us. And I pray, God, that we would make that happen, that the kingdom of God would be reigning in and out our world. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys have a great day.